Well, as you know, we've been going through our series on holiness, and uh, we've been starting with our thoughts. We moved to lifestyle, which took us four weeks to get through Psalm chapter 119, and then last, uh, actually, excuse me, um, yeah, last week we talked about the, the purity of our words, and tonight we are going to talk about relationships. How can we be holy in our relationships? So if you guys think about the Ten Commandments, where God gave his law on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20. The unique thing about the Ten Commandments is if you look at all ten of them, they're actually divided pretty evenly by type or category of relationship. Commandment number one through four is what we call the vertical. So it's your relationship to God as your creator. And then six through ten talks about the horizontal, about the relationships that you have with other people. And we know that if you have the vertical correct, if you have a good relationship with God, and if you're in a right standing before Him, then the outworking of that healthy relationship will be good horizontal relationships with other people in this world. So tonight we're going to look at the horizontal. We're going to focus on How do we treat one another in all the different types of relationships that we have in our life? So typically when you come to a message about holiness, addressing teenagers in particular, the mind usually goes right to the dating relationship, right? And that's not really going to be the focus of what we're going to talk about tonight. But I do want to put a couple of, of biblical principles before you for you to chew on in that regard, because we do need God's help to help navigate us through the relationships that we have with the opposite sex. So here's a couple things for you to think about. And if this springboards you into other questions, we would love to talk to you about those. If you have a leader that you're comfortable with, that you're um, humble enough to come and and work through a particular circumstance, then that would be an honor for us to do that with you. We'll go to the scriptures and apply it to that specific area. But in terms of guy-girl relationships, there's a couple things that I want to say. First of all is I recognize that there are different convictions in the different homes with parents and how they approach dating rules with their children. And so what is dating versus what is courtship? What's the motive for entering into a dating relationship? What is the purpose of it? And all those different things. So my job always as a youth pastor is not to sidestep your parents. We want to make sure that I respect their leadership for you. And I want you to make sure that I'm honoring them in that. However, having said that, the conviction that you have about what you should do in terms of dating should not be based solely on what your parents say. It also should not be based solely upon what your pastor says it should be based on what the scriptures say. And so if you search in your concordance for dating, you're not going to find it. And I would not say to this point, I, I could not with authority say that dating is wrong. I have some pretty strong opinions on it. If you'd like to talk offline, I would be more than happy to do that. But the Bible does give us some principles when it comes to that type of relationship. So number one is we need to make sure that we understand that we are living lives of holiness. That should be your filter when you're in that type of relationship. Are you able to stand before God, quorum Deo, 
with a clean conscience that you are walking through that relationship in a way that honors Christ. And that has a whole bunch of subsets to it. If you're a believer, you should not date unbelievers. The Bible says that you should not be unequally yoked with people that are in a different kingdom than you are. You should be pursuing purity and holiness with your control of your physical body and your minds. And if your dating relationship is challenging that, then you need to step out of it for the sake of your purity. But the other thing I want you to consider is if you're dating, you are not in the covenant of marriage. A lot of times people try to kind of blur those lines when they're dating to try to take on some of the, the benefits of that type of relationship in marriage, and that is not available to you yet. You have to remember that if you're not married, the standard that the Bible puts before you is that you are to treat them as a brother or sister in Christ. So make sure that's your filter. Holiness, purity, I'm not married. I don't know what's going to happen to me in the future. And if God brings me to a marriage relationship, I don't want to have anything in the past give me regrets about the relationship that I have when I enter into that covenant. This is my brother or this is my sister. And again, Coram Deo, before the face of God, can you drag, it's an aggressive term, can you place your relationship through that thinking and say everything that I'm doing with the person that I'm dating is done before the face of God and I have no hesitations or guilt about that. So again, that probably kind of springboards into a lot of different scenarios that you might have questions about and uh, we would love to walk through those with you. So come and talk to us if you would like to do that. But I want to pull back and I want to give you tonight a number of different categories for our relationships. I was trying to think about all the different types of interactions that we have with other people. And as best I could, I wanted to boil them down to these five categories. One is your family. Those are the people that you're immediately related to, those who are in your house. It might actually be maybe even some of your extended family, but I'm talking primarily your, your household your mom, your dad, your brothers, and your sisters. The second category would be your friends, those whom you choose to spend time with that are outside of your, <clears throat> excuse me, outside of your, of your household. That would be category number two. Number three would be those who are in authority over you. That would be your teachers. If you have employment, that would be your boss or your supervisor. If you're on a sports team, that's your coach. And then also would include anybody from the civil authorities in the government, like the police and those type of, of people. Category number four is the local church, the congregation that you're involved with. And the reason I put that one on its own is because, obviously these all dovetail, right? But the reason I put that one on its own is because there's such a uniqueness of relationship with the local church as a believer in Christ that it's important for us to look at that on its own right. And then lastly would be those in your community. That would be people that you interact with, but you don't really know. You go out to the store, there's people in the, in the, the checkout line that you don't know, but you're, you're interacting socially with people. And we do have a standard and a witness for that type of, of relationship, even though it's, it's surface and casual. My temptation was to take each one of those, including the dating relationship, and, and expand those out in their own uh, studies but then we would be here till uh, this coming summer. 
And so I felt that uh, what I wanted to do is to pull back from those five categories. And tonight, what I want to give you is five principles of how to have good relationships in any of those categories that we're talking about. So these five are what we're going to look at. And if you're not there, we're going to go ahead and start in Philippians chapter 2. Principle number one is if you want to have healthy relationships, if you want to have relationships that are holy, that are pure, that are honoring to the Lord, then you need to first consider other people before yourself. This is kind of the, the foundation of how you enter into relationships that are, that are healthy. And I know you might be thinking, depending on the person that I do that with, they're not going to treat me that way. They may abuse that. I, I understand the dynamic of that. God doesn't tell you to act a certain way if somebody responds a certain way. The Bible says this is how God wants you to be regardless of how the other person responds. So the first thing is that you want to consider other people as more important than yourself. And the challenge is, is that a lot of you guys know that verse probably by memory, but I want you to think past the memory verse and to consider the significance of that challenge and that standard. So let's read our, our section here. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Christy, I'm sorry to bother you. Can you shut the door downstairs? Thank you. Verse 1. This is, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So we're not going to have time to go into what's known as the kenosis passage. This is one of the most mysterious and challenging passages in the New Testament in relation to the, the nature of Christ. But Paul starts chapter 2 by giving us what's called an if-then statement. If this is true, Paul says, if you examine your life and you see these things are true, you've experienced these things, then this is how I want you to act. He says, if you have encouragement in Christ, has Christ ever encouraged you? in your life, in your walk with him? Has he ever given you consolation? He says if there's fellowship of the Spirit, if, you've, if you have sensed the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon your life, if you have looked back on a particular circumstance and, and with the, the clarity of hindsight, seeing that the Holy Spirit was directing you a certain way and you were grateful for that, has the Spirit been evident in your life? He says, and if there's any affection or compassion, has God 
confirmed to you his love? Have you ever been overwhelmed with the, the reality of, of God's love and care for you as his child? Paul says, if, if you've experienced any one of those things, then this is how I want you to respond. He says, be of the same mind. So he's talking about the church. He says, I want you to be unified with one together, uh, with one another, intent on one spirit. And then verse three, he says, do nothing this, excuse me, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. I want you guys to think about any one of those five categories of relationships. If you were to live out this one principle consistently and fully, considering others as more important and acting on that, what would that do to your relationship? It would revolutionize it. It would transform it. In fact, if both parties do this, then all sinful issues disappear. This principle in and of itself is one that is strong enough for us to change how we interact with one another. I remember there was a, a pastor who spoke at our family camp a number of years ago, and he says, you want to see how, how integrated our selfishness is? I give you a picture of our summer camp. Who's the first person that you look for? I mean, we all do it. He said, I, speaking for the pastor who was teaching the camp, he said, I've been married to this, this bride of, of mine, this joy of my life for 40 years, and I go and serve her ice cream. And as I'm carrying the two bowls in my head, I'm weighing which one is, is the bigger bowl so I can keep the bigger bowl. He says, it, we're, we're so, our default flesh is to consider ourselves first. Paul says, you need to train your mind to think in the reverse. How can you consider others not only first, but as of higher importance than you are? And that would include the willingness to go to somebody and have those difficult conversations if that's what is their greatest need. You don't ignore things that are difficult. In fact, you love them enough that you will walk them through the difficult things as well. So the first idea of considering others first, putting people before you, is principle number one. The second one is that we need to be before the face of God. The second one is that we need to love people. I want you guys to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you're taking notes or if you're tracking mentally here with principle number two, you would think that this one is so obvious that why would we even mention it? In fact, I think this one is so obvious that people actually overlook it in terms of its importance. And I think part of that is because we've come to accept, at least in part, the cultural definition of what it means to love people. And it's usually sentimental, emotional. And so we don't really think about the, the significance of what the Bible says and describes how we're supposed to love one another. We actually spent eight weeks in 1 Corinthians 13, about a year and a half ago, 
when we were going through that particular book. And so there is a, there is a lot of deep, incredible revelation of God clarifying an issue that our culture is hopelessly confused about. In fact, if you look at the way that, that God placed chapter 13 in the book of 1 Corinthians, it was right in the middle of chapters 12 and 14. I know that, let, let that sink in, the significance of that. But does anybody know what Paul is talking about in chapters 12 and 14? Yeah. Exactly. So chapters, actually even 11. 11, 12, and 14 are talking about the spiritual gifts in the church. If you are to summarize the Corinthian church, what was going on there? Tongues was their focus for sure, but how were they treating one another? Yeah, so they wanted to elevate themselves. And if you look at all throughout the book, they're, they're fighting with one another. Their relationships are strained and broken, and there's lawsuits in chapter 6. And so Paul's dealing with all these things in this local congregation. He's starting to talk about the spiritual gifts and how God wants them to be used and what the gifts truly are. And then he stops all of that and he says, okay, I'm going to walk you through what it means to love one another. And Paul's saying, if you can get an understanding of how, how God has called us to love one another, that all of these issues go away. It's almost like a, a big parenthesis in the book. Parenthesis diminishes it, so I don't, I don't want to say it that way, but it's a pause. And he says, this is what God has called us to in terms of loving one another. Just read for a, a sample here. Look at verse 4. It says, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. Just verses 4 through 8, living those out in your relationships with one another would be something that would bring healing to a relationship that's broken. If you have, if you have a friendship with somebody where trust has been lost, and the person wants to earn their trust back, maybe you've lost trust with somebody because of something that you've done. And the Bible says this is how you treat one another, this is how you love one another. And over time, people start to see that there's a change in your life, and they start to see that you are, you're different by the grace of Christ. So we want to consider others first, and of greater importance than we are. Secondly, we need to love people according to what the Bible says. We're not talking just when your emotions feel like it. But God gives us measurable, identifiable actions that show people that we actually love them. And then third, we're to be a peacemaker. Why don't you turn to Romans chapter 12. There are 
There are some of you who thrive on conflict, whether it's lighthearted, sometimes it's not. The Bible says we need to be just the opposite. We need to be people that look to make resolution, not to stir up difficulty. Look at verse 15. It says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will, we- you will, re- you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The reason this particular passage is helpful, and hopefully it's encouraging to you, because the Lord is telling us that He recognizes that it's, you don't have control over how other people respond. God is not holding you responsible for others doing the right thing. That's between them and God. And that's why He says here, as far as it depends upon you. So consider your part in the relationship Have you done everything you can to reconcile? Have you done everything you can to right something that you have wronged? Asked for forgiveness if that's the case? or Whatever the circumstance may be. As far as it depends on the the circumstances that you can control, then you need to be a peacemaker. You need to be those that are looking for reconciliation. I've had relationships in the past where I want to reconcile with somebody, but they're not willing. That's a hard place to be. And Romans chapter 12 gives you the the comfort and the clarity that you are to stand ready to forgive. That means that in your heart, you have made sure that your conscience is clear. And the way that you respond to people is one that is not taking revenge at any level. In fact, Proverbs 15 verse 1 says that a gentle answer turns away wrath. I've seen difficult circumstances where somebody responds in a gracious way and it diffuses the anger and actually leads towards resolution. And I know that it takes a moment to to pause because everything in our flesh just wants to take a shot back whether it's verbal, whether it's silent treatment, whatever the case is, whether you want to give up on the friendship. The Bible says we need to not take vengeance on anybody. As far as it depends upon you, you need to seek reconciliation. We want to be like Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 2, I want you to listen to this description of Christ. Verse 21 It says, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, 
leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And, listen to this, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And so when you are wronged by people, I want you to think back to 1 Peter chapter 2 and how Jesus responded to that type of treatment. And he says, never take revenge. So we need to consider others first and of greater importance than we are. We need to love people according to how the Bible defines love. As far as it depends upon you, you are to be a peacemaker. And then number four is that you need to stand ready to forgive. Let's go back to that relationship where you want to reconcile, but the other person does not. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. How do you respond to the person that is not ready to reconcile? Maybe even a, a bigger concept than that is that think about your closest friendship that you have. The one, the person that you trust, the one that you're most comfortable with. Even the closest friend in your life is going to sin against you. And you probably know that very clearly by now. So if you can't forgive when somebody sins against you, then you're never going to have a healthy relationship. If you can't learn to not only forgive somebody, and by the way, also to not keep the list of wrongs that you need to, to get rid of the, the, the rehearsal of the memory of what they've done to you. You've got to let that go out of your thinking. You need to put them away. Willingness to move on with that relationship, and you need to be able to forgive them. But what about the people that, that are not willing to reconcile? then in your own heart and in your own mind, you need to forgive them. And you need to stand ready to forgive when the opportunity comes. Holding nothing against them. God is going to teach you incredible patience in that circumstance because unresolved things and waiting, that's difficult. But God also has purpose in our difficulties. And maybe you're having a hard time letting go of, of a wrong that somebody's done to you. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying if it's difficult, then maybe you need a, a different perspective. You have wronged Christ way more than anybody has ever wronged you. And yet Christ, without hesitation, demonstrates his love for you by dying on the cross for your sins. And if you need to think through that, that principle, you can look through Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35, where Jesus gives a parable of the person that's unwilling to forgive, even though they've been forgiven an unthinkable debt. Jesus says, if you're having a hard time forgiving somebody else, stop and think for a minute what Christ has forgiven you of. And then ask God to help you to, to be able to forgive that individual. 
So we need to be people that forgive. Peter says, how many times am I supposed to forgive when I'm wronged? What was Jesus' answer? 70 times 7? Jesus says there's no number, there's no limit to it. That's a, a Greek phrase to tell you that it is not something that you can count. But what if I forgive them, they're going to wrong me again? They might. The Bible says you are to forgive them and not hold it against them. So we need to consider others first. We need to love people. We need to be peacemakers. We need to be those who forgive or stand ready to forgive, even if the relationship is, is not restored yet. And then finally, we need to be an ambassador for Christ. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Does anybody know what an ambassador is? What is the job of an ambassador? Yes. To represent their, for instance, country to another country while we're there. Yeah. So whatever the ambassador says, how they act, how they interact with other people in different countries or different social settings, it represents the entire country, leadership, king, whatever the, the circumstance may be. That's what God is calling us to do in terms of being an ambassador for Christ. Listen to what Paul says, verse 20. He says, therefore we, talking about believers, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God is using those he has redeemed to go and tell other people. And God is saying that he is making an appeal through his children to others. And sometimes the way that we are treated by unbelievers is the opportunity to respond as ambassadors for Christ. And that's why all of these principles start to come into play with the world that does not understand how we are to live as followers of Christ. So think of the relationships with the people that need salvation. Nothing honors the Lord more than sharing the good news of the gospel with somebody who is still in their sins. And maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you haven't come to Christ for salvation. And this passage is, is begging you. We beg you on, the, on, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Because without the Lord Jesus Christ, God is your enemy. And yet He wants you to be his child. He made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on your behalf, that he might give you what you do not have, which is righteousness. It's an incredible, magnanimous gift from our Creator. Sins are forgiven. You can have a clear conscience. 
There's no fear of condemnation happening in the future. And then you can understand and learn the joy of what it means to walk with your Creator. So this is how we need to think about the relationships that we have in the world, that there will be opportunities for us through conflict, through how we forgive others, how we consider others as more important, how we are patient, we do not take revenge, and people will begin to notice that there's something different about us that will give us an opportunity to talk about the goodness of Christ and His saving work. So by, by means of kind of connecting the dots with all these tonight, I want you to think about a particular relationship that you have that is strained right now or broken. If you have somebody that you need to be reconciled with, which one of these five principles, if you were to choose one of them, with that individual, one that would make the most initial difference in your relationship, which one could you begin to implement in that relationship? Or which one is, is missing in your own spiritual walk in your thinking about this, this individual? Think through those five things, and by God's grace, the difference between conviction and guilt is guilt's like a shotgun blast where it's like 50 different shots at the same time, and you're like overwhelmed, right? God doesn't usually work that way. Guilt is like a, a pinprick, something very specific, very pointed, and he says, start here. Now, he may want you to do all five eventually. He does, because they're commanded. But he says, start with this. Think about that relationship that is, is broken. Which one of these five could you start with and begin to work on reconciliation? And maybe it begins with just prayer for opportunities to ask for forgiveness or to talk or to begin to build that trust back. Pray for their hearts to be receptive and have the Lord examine you. Is there anything that you've done wrong that you need to make right? And maybe, maybe these five principles, you're wanting to have some understanding of, of how do I apply this in this particular circumstance? Because I understand that circumstances can get very complicated. I had a phone call a couple of nights ago with somebody who was trying to work through a, a difficult relationship. And it's like right now we, we don't know how to untangle everything. But let's take one step. This is how you should respond right now. And let's see where the relationship goes from there. If you need help thinking through that, then again, come talk to us. Help us to, uh, we would love to help you apply those things. And to, sometimes it's good just to talk through the, the process and get, get other perspectives. Um, we would love to be able to minister to you in that way. Or if you need to talk about salvation in Christ, and you want to be reconciled to God, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled while you have an opportunity. So let's pray as we close. Ask the Lord to help us in our relationships. Father, we thank you for the, the clarity of, of these different passages. You're the one that has designed relationships, and you're the one that can instruct us how to restore, how to forgive, how to be peacemakers, how to love others, 
how to be ambassadors if they need to hear the good news, how to put others first and to consider them as, as a higher importance than ourselves. Father, I pray for all the relationships that have come to mind tonight that are, that are difficult right now. Give wisdom how the first step can be taken by the leading of your spirit so that they can seek to be peacemakers. And I pray that you give them favor in those, those relationships. Lord, help us to have sensitivity to tell others about salvation in Christ. And so uh, let us steer conversations to things of truth. And Father, thank you for your patience with us, how much you have forgiven us and continue to be patient, even with your children who still fail and still sin. Uh, you've already covered us and you've already cleansed us. And we thank you for your grace. So let us have opportunities to talk much about Christ, we ask in his name. Amen.